Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Postpartum Therapist Podcast. Today, I have a close friend of mine, Kayla, here to share her story. Kayla is the mother of three and was diagnosed with endometriosis, and she definitely her diagnosis and prognosis. So, Kayla, welcome. Could you introduce yourself for me, please? Hi, um, my name is Kayla, obviously. Um, I am 31 years old. I know Jasmine from college. Uh, married with three kids in a circus. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> so, three kids in a circus, absolutely. And so, given okay you were diagnosed with endometriosis what i from what i remember really young so would you mind telling us what was going on how did you get your diagnosis and what were you told what was that process like i was trying to think from the beginning and i don't even know how young you were when you started noticing things so would you mind sharing that for us yeah absolutely um so when i was in high school um i was one of those people that didn't get their period until I think I was like a sophomore in high school, which is like super weird. Cause I remember people getting it in like fifth and sixth grade. Um, so super late to get it. And then when I did get it, it was very irregular. Um, I would have it for weeks on end. Um, and it just, it was just all over the place. So I had, been going to um, an OBGYN that my mom had gone to for years and um, I think when I was about I was in college at this time well I guess before that every time I would go in I would have like painful cramps like it would be debilitating I couldn't go to school um, couldn't even drive um, it was just a mess so every time I would go in there um, this certain um, OB, she would just prescribe, um, well, back then it was Vicodin, and then tell me that it was um, probably just in my head and that this would take the edge off. So when I was in college, I think I was 21 at the time, I ended up getting a second opinion because I was just in so much pain at that time. And I went and saw a specialist that one of my mom's friends had recommended because she had gone through endometriosis as well. Um, And when I went in for my consultation, they scheduled surgery that day. Um, So a week after that, I had my first surgery. Um, At that time, they diagnosed me with endometriosis and I had two cysts removed from each ovary. Um, One was about the size of a grapefruit and then since then I've had four more um I've gone under or gone through clinical trials and hormone therapy which put me in the menopause for a year to try and slow down the progression of the disease and um was kind of informed that it was a Um, autoimmune disease so usually when you have one you have another so I was also diagnosed with interstitial cystitis so um, with both of those I was kind of given a ultimatum that if I didn't have kids within the next few years which this was probably when I was 26 25 I think um, that 
I would more than likely need to have a hysterectomy in my young 30s. So, yeah, that's kind of the synopsis on the whole shindig. So, yeah, going back, because I'm trying to remember. I remember, and I think it was about seven years ago, where, or seven or eight years ago, where, yeah, you, you were given the prognosis, like, kids now or never. Mm-hmm. And I just remember you being like, okay, uh, that's pretty defeating, you know. Yeah. Um, and here you are, three kids later, so definitely mm-hmm. beat the odds with that. But going back, what is, and I'm going to butcher it because I've never even heard of it, interstitialitis what is that interstitial cystitis um okay thank you (laughs) um honestly i it's super hard to explain it's something it's with your bladder um it's basically just i don't even know i haven't even i haven't even really read into it in a long time just because it's been so long since i've had to deal with it Um, but it was just kind of a coinciding autoimmune disease. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I can't, I, I couldn't tell you right now. No, that's (laughs) that's okay. It's been so long that since I've had to deal with that kind of stuff, it's right. It's amazing, but yeah. So then also go through, you mentioned hormone therapy. So if somebody was having difficulty with endometriosis and maybe is at the beginning, what might they expect if some, you know, if a doctor said, okay, we're going to do hormone therapy, what was that like for you? Were there side effects? Oh, yeah. Well, as yeah. I was say, what was the process like of going through hormone therapy? Um, so you don't technically always have to do that. I did that because I was at a point in my life where I, um, well, my husband now, but he was my boyfriend at the time. We had broken up. And when I was kind of given the ultimatum kids soon now or never um I kind of went into like a panic mode and tried to do everything that I could to kind of preserve the time that I had so one of the options was um it's Lupron um which is basically a hormone that kind of jump starts your body and kind of forces you to go into menopause so it shuts down your cycles because endometriosis every time you have a cycle and the lining of your uterus sheds um that's when your endometriosis um it it builds every single time you have a cycle um so yeah every month I would go in and I would have I think the first six first three months I want to say I had to go in every month and have a shot right in the butt of this um Lupron and then I want to say after three months then it was then I went in every three months after that um and basically it's full-blown menopause you have um hot flashes I mean I was a person that could run and I was a gymnast and I would tumble for hours and not have one drip of sweat it was just something that I didn't do I didn't sweat um I went to a wedding and it looked like I went swimming in the pond behind me because the sweat was just unreal um, mood swings, lack of sleep, um, yeah, everything that every middle-aged woman complains about, I went through, so, um, but on the flip side, I now have three children, and I accredit that, um, 
a lot to the hormone therapy because I don't think without that, I think without that, I wouldn't have had my kids that in my last surgery for sure. So how old were you when your body was put through menopause? Uh, 25. So you're a 25 year old. Most 25 year olds are going to the club, right? Having a good Mm -hmm. time. And you are going through menopause to do what you can to preserve whatever opportunity you could to have kids, right? Yes, absolutely. So with that, were there, and, and, you know, don't answer if you're not comfortable, you said the mood swings, you know, did that have, you know, how long, I guess I want to know how long did it last for, you know, if somebody's listening, are they thinking, okay, my body's going to be through menopause for years? Was it short term? How did your body come out of it? Does that make sense, that question? Yeah, yep, absolutely. So I did that for a full year, um, which, I mean, it was pretty instantaneous once I had the first dose. Um, and I continued on with that um, until, so for a full year. And then at that time, um, I was contacted by um, a hospital on the east side of the state to do a clinical trial and a experimental surgery. Um, and one of the things I needed to do was to quit the Lupron. Um, so I quit the Lupron and then within a month, my body had regulated itself back to what it was post hormones. Um, I still have, I still from, I mean that I think my, I sweat like, like a, a sumo wrestler. It's crazy. But I think that's really the only lingering side effect that I have from the actual hormone therapy. So you do the hormone therapy. What was this procedure that was done on the east side of the state that you also kind of um, credit for allowing you the opportunity to have, you know, three successful pregnancies? Yeah, so um, there is a doctor on the east side of the state, um, and I don't know if... I am allowed to say his name or not because I don't know if it's technically like, you know, passed or certified or anything like that. But um, anyway, he contacted me because there was a certain um, like a robotic surgery that they were trying to do. Essentially, what it did was um, when they put you under, they inject dye throughout your uterus and when this dye attaches to the endometriosis, which is um, essentially just scar tissue, it illuminates um, and it's green. So what they did is they um, were able to basically remove every part of illuminated tissue. And um, at that time, I found out that not only was my endometriosis in my um, uterus, but it had moved from my bowels um, up. It was surrounding my bladder. It was in my liver and it is actually like attached to my lungs. So I honestly, I don't think that with, without that surgery, I would have been able to get pregnant because there, I mean, who would have known that the endometriosis was all the way up to my lungs? So. Well, and I think it's something that, I mean, hearing you say that, I didn't even know it was possible. You know, yeah. and I've been friends with you for years. I guess I didn't even know that endometriosis could travel, I assumed. And I guess I should do my research on this. I assumed that it was centralized to the uterus or any reproductive organs versus, 
you know, full organ, si- you know, systems. Yeah. Uh. yeah. And I didn't, I didn't know that either. I, I know I obviously had known that it was um, spreading like throughout my reproductive system at, at certain times of my life, but never in a million years did I expect to find out that it was up in my lungs. So I, I honestly think that that was a huge, huge blessing and the fact that I was able to get pregnant after that, I think, was huge. So how soon after that surgery were you able to get pregnant? Um, so I had that surgery. I'm trying to think here. Sorry if you hear my dogs barking in the background. That is my circus. As, hey, <laughs> this, is, this is the pandemic, right, where we do everything from home. So that's no problem. As long, I'm sure they're chasing a neighbor somewhere, but that's all right. So yeah. I, I had my surgery um, in November of, what would that have been, 2016, 15, 15, 15, 15. Yeah. Um, and then, yes, because then I started, um, Aiden and I got back together um, in February. And we went to a post-op appointment, and at that time is when um, the doctor and I agreed that, you know, if I wanted children, this would be the time, because basically everything was cleaned out, everything was as probably as healthy as it was going to get, so the best chances I had were um, to start trying then. So I think we started trying in April, and we ended up getting married in September, just kind of to speed the process, not to speed obviously getting pregnant along, but we knew we wanted to have kids and, you know, traditionally speaking, it'd be nice to be married. We went in the week after we got married because we had been trying since April. They gave us Clomid and a couple other fertility meds and like a whole tracking system because they obviously wanted to try and speed the thing or the process up and my period never came because I was pregnant. So I, they say I got pregnant on September 11th of 2016, which was nine days after our wedding, 10 days, nine days after our wedding. And fun fact, you would find out on your wedding day. On my wedding day. Yes. I took a pregnancy test the night before and it was negative. Still didn't feel right the day of. So Aiden told me to take a pregnancy test and if it was positive I was driving and if it was negative <laughs> he was driving so I you drove <laughs> you drove okay now if you have time yep. another plot twist then so you any complications during that first pregnancy at all did they nope. monitor you any differently nope and honestly the best I've ever felt has been other than the exhaustion has been when I'm pregnant it's kind of it's weird it's like your hormones are finally balanced it's like you actually feel normal for the first time at least in my experience so I felt great and I've heard that you know you're not alone in that I've heard women that have had like a history of complications in different parts of their body like pregnancy had helped like level them out somehow in some mysterious (laughs) way so I've heard that so, okay, here's the plot twist then for our listeners. <laughs> so you would go on to have... Marlo. Yep. So... Irish twins or almost <laughs> yes. Irish twins, Just right? about Irish twins. They're 13 months apart. So, yeah, um, I gave birth to Hudson at a Catholic hospital 
Um, so they uh, failed to inform me that you're the most fertile after pregnancy, um, which is sweet of them. So I found out I was pregnant with Marlo. I think Hudson was about, well, actually it was um, Hunter Widow's weekend. So November 15th. So he was born on June 12th. So five months, five months old. Yep. So I have, yeah, just about Irish twins. Just about Irish twins. And then, and then recently, We've added another to the bunch. Now, any um, fertility medication needed for your third? Because I know for your second, no, but what about for your third? Any fertility medication needed or any assistance needed for your third? No, we, again, kind of the same thing as Hudson. We had been trying for quite a long time. Um, And I shouldn't say a long time because people do try for an, an actual long time, but longer than four months. So, and we weren't even trying then. So... Yeah, so we started trying in, I want to say May, and we got pregnant in September again. So not very long, but again, um, it there's a, Marlo was, was three in July, so there's a, there's a big gap in between those. So then we, you know, we had to have the same conversation with my doctors, like, okay, you can't continue to have periods, like the endometriosis is back, we can see cysts, so if you want to have another baby, this is the time to do it, and so we did it. Okay, now what does that mean, um, so three healthy babies, no major complications with the pregnancy, any complications with labor or delivery at all for either of them, or any what? of them I should say? Well, um, Hudson, (laughs) Hudson was a big boy, not, um, I mean, he was eight, 14 and a half, I think. So not entirely massive, but the boy has a noggin on him. So, um, I had a stage four tear with Hudson. Um, and then when I found out I was pregnant with Marlo, my doctors basically told me that, Obviously, it was my choice, but it was highly recommended by him that I not do um, a vaginal delivery again so soon after my delivery with Hudson, which did not take very much convincing for me because I did not want to go through that again. So I opted to have a C-section with my second and my third. Um, So not really a complication. However... Um, just kind of steered the way that I delivered in a little bit of a different direction. Okay. And then would you say for, cause I've talked to different women. Some women are like, I want to avoid C-section. Some women are like, sign me up. Where do you stand on that spectrum? Um, you know, it's, it's hard because I, I've had the experience of having both. Um, and I can see how, um, if on your first, you, were unable to deliver naturally, I can see how that would be um, something that you might mourn um, or, you know, wish that you would have experienced. However, um, the recovery for me with my um, vaginal delivery was awful. It was terrible. I have never been in so much pain. Um, It just, it, 
it was not the beautiful experience that I pictured. Um, so for me, that the opportunity to have a C-section, I, I took that. I mean, I jumped on the opportunity. So I thought it was um, the best option for me. I think that I think that at that point, you kind of just have to listen to what your body is telling you. And had I had had kids maybe a little bit further apart, I probably would have considered it a little bit more. But just given the predicament that I was in, there was no way I could have gone through the healing process and the recovery process of another delivery like I had with Hudson with a with a 13-month uh, at home. So I kind of had to do what was best for not only myself, but my family at the time and my mental health, because that was, that was rough. Sure. And that's a good segue, because that's what I was going to ask you. Um, a lot of the women that I've interviewed or plan on interviewing or just have talked to um, have experienced some form of like a postpartum depression or an anxiety. Would you say you've experienced anything like that? Um, I don't... I have struggled with anxiety in general um, throughout my life, um, but surprisingly enough, I really didn't struggle with that too much after um, after having the kids. I think that everything that I went through kind of uh, made me made me look at things in a little bit of a different perspective. Whereas I think rather than having the anxiety. Um, and the postpartum depression, I struggled more with guilt um, in the fact that I was, you know, blessed with three healthy kids and three healthy pregnancies. And a lot of people in my position don't get that. Um, so I think I struggled in different ways, but I don't I don't think that I really had experienced the full-blown anxiety and depression after after the kids and so with that you know and that's wonderful I love hearing that not because I'm you know not because I don't want people to you know I'm not encouraging like hey I hope everybody experiences a postpartum mood disorder but I think it's good to have a balance right I think it's you know very good for us moms that struggled with postpartum anxiety or depression to say, hey, it's okay if it happens. It happens to several women. But I also think it's wonderful when we have friends that don't because they can usually be the sounding board mm-hmm. to say, hey, sister, like I know you're having a hard time, but your baby's safe, right? I, I did have people like that in my world to say, I, I know you're scared for your child, but this is why they're safe. And so I think it's good to have moms in your circle that have you know kind of all aspects the ones that aren't suffering or struggling with mental health and maybe the ones that you know aren't struggling with other things you know with the postpartum process so I think that that can be a beautiful balance within friendships to kind of say hey I'm going to call you out gent you know gently because I can see you know this is making you very uncomfortable but I want you to know you are safe you and your baby are safe in this environment and you know, we're here for you. So, um, so I, I do think that that's good, um, from that perspective. And I think it's necessary within friend groups or any other type of support group or whatnot. 
Let me ask you this. Any other postpartum challenges? Some moms that I've talked to, you know, we talked about, you know, breastfeeding, bottle feeding, um, other things that a lot of women don't want to talk about in regards to, you know, recovering with your body and body image, anything like that that you experienced at all? Oh, yeah. Um, for my first two, um, because of the Lupron, one of the side effects um, of that hormone um, therapy was that I was unable to produce um, um, breast milk at all. So the I think the first four weeks after I had Hudson, my first was a struggle because, I mean, that was almost five years ago. And all you saw all over social media was, you know, breast is best. And I mean, if you weren't breastfeeding, I, in my opinion, I felt like you were being guilted. Um, so that was a huge struggle for me. And, and especially my relationship with my husband, because it was just, it, it was so consuming over every aspect, every minute of every day. Um, when I finally threw in the towel and said, my, my kid has to eat, um, we're giving him a bottle. Um, my life changed. So that in our, our lives as a, a new family of three changed. So that was huge. Um, again, with my, with my daughter, she was uh, bottle fed. Um, and she is smart and thriving and sassy and everything that she's supposed to be as a little girl. And with Brewer, I left the hospital and all of a sudden my milk came in. So I, you know, went with that. We started, I mean, we started supplementing obviously in the hospital because I wasn't producing and then surprise, I got home. Um, so that was, I mean, that was always something that I struggled with is kind of having the guilt of my kids having formula. But at the end of the day, it was much more important for my kids to be full and sleeping and healthy and happy. Um, so yeah, if you have, if you are struggling with that decision, I, I get that. Um, but just know that your mom instincts, I guess, are going to kick in and you're going to know what to do. And, you know, body image, I am not the same person that I was before I had the kids. And that's something that I still struggle with. Um, we just went to Mexico uh, last week and I was telling Jasmine too, you don't realize how much you need to get away from your kids until you get away from them. So being, you know, a little sidetracked, being called something other than mom or being something other than mom and dad for a week, I think was huge um, in our relationship um, as a husband and wife. But it did bring up some, you know, body issues and self-consciousness and body image. So that's something that I'm working on. Um, but it's hard too. I mean, you're tired at the end of the day, who wants to go work out and run? And I mean, who wants to wake up earlier than four o'clock in the morning and do that? So I think that's an ongoing struggle for sure. But I think the biggest, yeah. And I mean, that goes into relationships too, because, you know, if you don't feel, at least for me, if I don't feel confident and I don't feel sexy and I feel like I look different than I used to then I feel like that impacts my uh, relationship with my husband as well too so um definitely a work in progress and not um something that I don't think is out of the ordinary or unusual by any means but well yeah. and 
And I was going to say, we just um, talked to our friend Meg. You know, mm-hmm. I had an interview with her and she brought up so many good points at the end of our podcast about how important it is for her to teach her boys about a normal and beautiful postpartum body for women. And it was just so encouraging to hear her. And I hope other people took that from her message of don't expect flat stomachs that are tight. You know, if you are somebody that is going to bear children and if you know a mom or respect a mom, expect that her body has went through, I think Meg said, like a ravaged war. And she's earned every piece and ounce of her body that she has. And to, you know, I'm adding this part now, but to shame her about that or to make it seem like her body's the one that is not normal is not fair. Um, And so just celebrating the postpartum changes of the body, owning it yourself and realizing that your body probably mimics more, you know, other women's more than we think. And um, so I'm happy you said that. It kind of took me back to that conversation. And then going back, I wanted to really appreciate you for sharing, you know, when I threw in the towel with the bottle, I talked to so many women that say, when I finally just gave myself grace and said, quit putting yourself through this, you know, quit trying to breastfeed. It's not helping you. You're exhausted that there can be a lot of solace in that you know obviously there's the loss there's you know mourning something you are hoping to do there's anger at your body not doing something you thought quote unquote it should be able to do and i say should because i think a lot of people assume it's just natural right i write about it in my book you have boobs so milk is supposed to come in and it's supposed to come in plentiful for your children and that's just not the case for many women um And so allowing moms to say, hey, what is truly best for you and your baby? What's going to help you sleep? What's going to make your baby, you know, be fed to where they're comfortable to the point that you're comfortable, right? You said, my baby needs to eat. You know, what gives you that comfort and peace of mind? And follow your gut, follow your body, and don't feel guilt over whatever way you need to do that. Oh, absolutely. And the thing is, is like you have to think about um, the if you're talking to your friend or you were, you you know, you were li- over, overhearing a story or you were, you know, in a conversation with another mom and you have to think about the, the advice that you would be giving them. And, you know, we're so hard on ourselves as moms and we have these expectations. And um, I think that we are quick to give advice or, you know, encourage or, you know, help facilitate um you know positive um changes or positive encouragement um with everyone else but I think that we're very apprehensive when we think about doing that or listening to that advice when it comes to ourselves um so yeah find I feel like when I when my mom it was my mom she was telling me she's like you want to know what people you're telling all these people you know, to give themselves grace and to just listen to their instincts and that they're the mom and that babies are made for this and they're they're learning just like you are. You need to do that as well. So I think once she said that, I was like, oh, well, yeah, I guess that does kind of make sense, eh? Yeah, absolutely. And it's true. We all do it. You know, I'm a therapist. I still do it. I'm the therapist that tells my patients, hey, what would you say to your best friend? Be nice to yourself. And then I'm the same person that's like, 
oh my gosh like did they eat enough today should I keep doing this you know and and it's true you know we're all all guilty of it absolutely um I want to be respectful of your time so I ask all my guests three questions and so I want to ask you the three questions and I'm going to start with and you can look at any you know postpartum experience with any kid or just you can generalize in you know do a general statement what was most supportive um as a postpartum mom um honestly it was very helpful to have friends going through the same seasons and stages of life as i was um i had friends that were having babies at the same time and i had friends that had had babies just before me so they were just getting out of the stages of pregnancy or um, you know motherhood that i was jumping into so i think i think that was the biggest one of the biggest um, i don't know biggest encouragements or biggest um, what's the word i'm looking for sources of support um, that you know, and having a very supportive spouse, I think was huge. And then what would you say you do today to take care of yourself as a mom? Um, actually, this is something new for me. I don't usually take care of myself. I kind of feel like I've been in the thick of it for a long time, but, um, just recently we took a adult only vacation. Um, and you, we did not realize how bad we needed that until we got there. Um, so that will be something that we will be doing more often. Um, whether it's a date night, whether it's a, um, night away, whether it's just me going out to dinner, um, or me taking a girl's weekend, having time where I'm something other than a mom or a maid or a chef, um, makes me feel like. I'm still a person, I'm still an individual, and I'm something other than those job titles. And yeah, I really appreciate you saying that because when I meet with moms, so many of them are consumed with guilt about leaving their kids and how will they do with that? And I tell them, your kids need a break from you just like you need a break from them. They're going to be okay. They're going to like the new energy. They're going to like the new personality of whoever's watching them. It's health necessary for everybody to get a break and to not feel guilty and to not think that you're a bad parent. So I'm really happy you guys did that. Yes, me too. Lastly, my dear, what advice would you have for a listener, a new mom, maybe a mom that's pregnant, um, or even a mom, you know, in my book, I talk about, you know, adoptive and foster care mothers. Uh, people kind of leave them out because they think, oh, it's only like biological parents that can experience this. And it's like, no, everybody adjusts when there's a new baby. So to any type of mom, what advice would you give for them? Um, one thing that has always stuck with me, and I don't know, it's weird. It is, it's kind of strange, but my doctor in the postpartum room, what came in and he visited and one of the first things that came out of his mouth was you're going to do fine. Babies are made for first time parents. And I don't know what that was or what about it hit me so hard, but I just 
kept going back to that um, when the babies were so little and, you know, you might, this sounds terrible, but like you might, you know, bump them on the head a little bit or you, you might have overfed them or you are still figuring out, you know, what it is that soothes them. They're learning just like you're learning. I mean, they're brand new to this world. So I think that is that is something that has stuck with me forever. It's weird, it's quirky, but um, it makes sense. And honestly, if you need a break, it's more important, in my opinion, to step away and take a breather and take a couple hours, take a bath, take a walk, do something to clear your head um, because no one's winning when you're frustrated and the baby's frustrated so you just need to take a calm you know calming minute just do it and try not to feel guilty I know it's hard but it's it's definitely needed I've never heard you know that saying that you said from your doctor before but I really appreciate it because if you think about it babies know no different Babies have no expectation of what should be going on, how things should go. So you really get to set the tone for that. And not saying to be intentionally negligent or, you know, hurtful, right? We're not saying that, but we're saying your babies really don't know that if you gave them 20 kisses instead of 25 that day, right? You know, something's off, right? You really get to help set the the tone for that baby and so if you're overly anxious or depressed that's kind of setting a tone too so Mm -hmm. be confident in what you're doing because they really know no different and if you're worried about what you're doing it means that you care and that you are doing a good job you know that's you know what i mean i say that to all my patients if you're worried about how you're doing that tells me you care yeah that in and of itself shows something Absolutely. Kayla, I want to thank you so much for your time. I want to thank you so much for our friendship and being willing to help me support other moms. Um, I, you know, recently put up a disclaimer that some of our content may be triggering and what we want to do is help, not hurt. So we're hoping that when you listen to this, you walked away with hope, whether you have endometriosis and are questioning if you can get pregnant um, or if you, you know, have challenged had challenges with body image or breastfeeding we're hoping that maybe somebody out there has benefited from listening to this so Kayla thank you so much for your vulnerability and honesty if anybody has any you know question resources please visit um postpartum international you could also email postpartum therapist at gmail.com thank you all so much please listen to our other episodes have a good day bye guys Bye.